This is WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. On the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. So welcome. My name is Marisa Nielsen. And my name is Kelly Juno, and I am a third grade teacher. And I teach second grade in Springfield, Vermont. Yes, and I teach in Massachusetts. So today we are doing a special show that is just for kids. And the purpose of this show is to explore some of the things that we have been hearing about during this period of quarantine. So first of all, Marisa, I'm just wondering how have things been going for you during the quarantine? Well, I think it's been a little stressful I miss the students. I miss the kids in my class. I miss seeing people and hugging people. Um, I'm lucky because I still get to see my students through the computer and I get to hug my husband and my kids <laughs> and my cat and my dog. Um, but it's, it's definitely, it adds a lot of stress um, and worry because of all of the um, hand washing and not being able to go different places Um, and I've been thinking a lot about people who have been stuck in their homes, their apartments or their houses, um, or just stuck in the places that they, they've last been, um, and also worried about people having enough food to eat and, um, and how everybody's holding up, um, and wanting to be able to check in with people and not being able to do that all the time has been hard. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in some ways I've been having a similar experience to you, and in some ways I've been having a different experience to you, and partly it's because I don't have kids to worry about or to take care of during this time, so it's been like a pretty quiet experience for me, and in some way for me, it's been like a little bit more um, of a restful time than my um, days usually are because I'm not going to school and like being in the classroom and teaching my kids all day. Um, and it just makes me think about like how many different experiences people are having during this quarantine and how we really can't think that our experience is just the experience that everyone's having during this time. Yeah. I think especially, I know that on the news, I've been seeing a lot of pictures about homeless people, people who don't have a place to be, and what the quarantine means for them. I saw pictures of people sleeping in a parking lot and the police, I think, or or the government in that state had drawn lines on the parking lot to show homeless people where they could sleep outside in the parking lot um, to try to keep them six feet away from each other. And I was thinking, wow, that's worrisome. And also why, why are these people not in homes and how can, how can I work to make that better? so that everybody has a home to be in. Um, Yeah, I feel kind of upset by hearing that about how the government would decide that 
the thing to do for people is to draw lines on the pavement so they can continue to sleep in a parking lot. Mm. I just really feel like there's, we can do better by our neighbors. I mean, I've also been thinking about people who are in prison or people who are in um, immigration detention who did not choose to be there, did not choose to be in either of those places. And how if you are in prison or you are in immigration detention or you are in a homeless shelter, it's not really possible to stay six feet away from people. You may not have clean water. You may not have enough water. Not everybody in prison or in immigration detention has soap. Um, They usually don't have hand sanitizer or aren't even allowed to have hand sanitizer. And so this is an extremely stressful and worrisome time for people who are in those situations. Yeah, I agree. And I think for some people... A different thing might be true too, how maybe school is a really stressful place for them or work is a really stressful place for them. Um, And this has been kind of a break from that. So I think there can be a lot of, like you said, Kelly, a lot of different experiences that people, kids and adults have been having during this time of quarantine. I think the thing for me is that this moment provides us with kind of an exciting opportunity. And it's the opportunity to reflect on what we think about our normal lives. And by that, I mean, well, we're all sort of forced to take a break right now from what we all just consider normal. And so in this break, we can see how we feel and be able to look at what is normal and maybe what we miss about it or what we definitely don't miss about it, and use our imaginations and our creative thinking to think about how what is normal to us could potentially be different and better. And of course, we all want the coronavirus pandemic to be over, and we want sick people to get well, and we want to go back to school and see our friends again and be able to do some of those things that we get to do when we're not in quarantine. But this isn't a kind of an exciting time to think, yes, we want to go back, but do we want to go back to things exactly as they were? I think that kind of goes into our next segment about learning from the world around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that during remote learning, it's been really hard to try to do all the same kinds of things that we do in school. And what I've tried to do is do as many kinds of learning experiences or activities that are about observing the world around us, whether we're in our apartment, um, you know, or in a house, or if we're downtown or in the forest, how can we observe our surroundings um, and use those as learning experiences Yeah. And I also, I've been hearing a lot from um, not just like other adults or parents or teachers, but also like from the newspaper or from the news that um, this is a time where kids are really missing out on a lot of learning. And that confuses me a little bit. I don't really know if I agree with that because I don't think that school and doing schoolwork is the only way to learn. 
And I think that actually this might be a really great opportunity to do different kinds of learning and focus on different kinds of learning. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Hey, Mitzi. It's a good thing we're doing this from home so Mitzi can participate. She's really been looking forward to this show. So, Kelly, we have an interview to play from somebody um, who's been doing a lot of observing in her neighborhood um, during this time of quarantine. Her name is Michaela Sims, and she lives in Brattleboro. She's a good friend of us. And she, we asked her a lot of questions about what it's been like for her and what she's been noticing in her neighborhood. Can yeah, you and she's also, she's also a teacher in a high school, and she's a parent, and she is a community member who's well-connected in the community. So she has all these different perspectives, and she spends a lot of time with young people. So let's go to Michaela's interview. Hi, everyone. So we are here today with a friend of mine. Her name is Michaela. Hi, Michaela. Hi. Michaela, I my whiny children in the background. <laughs> Okay, so my first question is just, what have you noticed and what are your thoughts about that? One thing that I've noticed is that there are a lot of people inside. I live in a place where um, you can walk places, like you can walk downtown. Um, I'm not far from downtown. And, um, and I do take a walk with my kids almost daily. And there are not very many people out. And because of the social distancing rules, the people that you see stay far away from you. So, like, if we're walking down the street, um, the three of us, I have one little one. Um, I guess people don't expect me to move because I have the little ones. And they will cross the street or they'll walk into the street um, to keep that distance most of the time. Um, every now and then there'll be someone who will just pass you closely on the, on the road, but that's rare. And sometimes when they get close to you, um, I've seen people, like, put on masks when they're getting close to me, I'm thinking like, well, uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that helped you, (laughs) but okay. Um, So like I've seen people walking without their masks on and they they see me and they put it on. Um, So uh, it's really different. Uh, I feel like there's a little less eye contact too between people. I I think that I usually would see people and this is a place where people will say hi or speak a lot of the time. And I would say now that's reduce somewhat that people are not um, looking at you or um, giving eye contact. Um, What else? I would say um, it's really interesting. um, The going to the store is, has become a really um, intense process, something that I did multiple times a week before, but now I try to go like every two weeks. Um, and so that means you're buying a lot, you're spending a lot of money. So I think that people are not able to um, always get their needs met because it's very expensive and you have to make a lot of trips because there isn't the things that you want on the shelves. Uh, my daughter has her piggy bank the singing. Um, so that's hard. And I'm sure it's hard on people who don't have transportation. It's like that if you go and you want bread, like there might not be bread there. Um, so that's a challenge. I yeah, would- I noticed that too, that when I go, there's certain things that are gone and sometimes things that I don't expect. What do you, why do you think that is? 
I think that people are panicked and they're nervous about the virus. And so one thing that people might do is think about what can they can control. And so if they, people who have access to resources and particularly money, um, might buy more than they need in a particular moment because that's something they can do and it feels tangible. Like, oh, I'm going to buy enough bread for two weeks and I'm going to freeze it or three weeks and I'm going to freeze it or I'm going to, you know, buy all this toilet paper even though it's just a small family of four. Um, so, like, people are trying, because we we have so little control over our situations right now, like whether we go to work or whether we go to school or what we do, that um, we're searching for things that we can't control. So my next question is, um, how do you see people taking care of each other? Well, that's huge. I mean, I think that when this first thing first started, that I got a call um, that each neighborhood has mutual aid networks, which is great solidarity. So people are working together um, to make sure people get their, their needs met, not just themselves, but their neighbors and their whole community. Um, so some people are doing canvassing to ask people what they need. Other people are um, using Google Forms, which is online, um, for people to get what they need. Um, people are sewing masks and making masks and giving them away. Um, I, because I have two small children and I live in an intergenerational household, what people call that. They call it intergenerational household, and that's that I have my grandmother with me. She's 102. My mother's here most of the time. Um, my niece and my two kids. Um, and so there are a lot of people who check on me, too, because um, to try to reduce my being out just because I people in my house are in a more vulnerable state because of age and pre-existing conditions. Um so I think that there's a lot of connectedness. There's a lot of, um, I, since I work with the schools, the school buses go out every day with lunches. And there are also meal packs that go out on Fridays. So a lot of teachers and counselors and other support staff like myself go out on those buses. Um, so it's just, um, there is a lot of coming together when we know that that we, are, we can't wait on people to meet our basic needs, that we have to do it for each other. Um, and a lot of people going out on social distancing walks and um, trying to find other ways to have connections um, so that we can feel that we're not alone. I was wondering if you could say a, a little bit about what mutual aid means. Mutual aid is it's kind of the antithesis of um, charity and that is that Mutual aid is when people come together to make sure they have their basic needs met. And they're not waiting on for someone else to do it for them. But we're using our own networks to make sure people are okay. Does that make okay. sense? So you mentioned masks, but besides masks, what else might people be helping each other with? Food, um, childcare, ride sharing, and ride sharing to go to the doctor or other essential services that are still open. Um, those are the main things that I think grocery store runs. And since I live in a rural area, um, people go also go to farms to get food. Um, those are some of the essential services that they're doing. And the other piece is that people are raising money for people who are out of work, which is also considered mutual aid. So I'm wondering, 
what hope what you hope people will learn from the crisis that we're in right now i mean one other thing that i noticed is that you know people being inside and i think that has positive aspects and neg- and like challenging ones i shouldn't say negative but challenging ones um and that, that's that we get to spend a lot of time with our families um and i think i'm hoping that um we'll recognize the things that things that we thought were creature comforts that we can go without um, and thinking about how we're going to spend our time going forward in terms of mutual aid, helping each other um, with family members uh, when it really counts. I mean, I think that it's, it might be frustrating now to be inside, but what a gift is it to that my, my children get to be with their great grandmother every day um, and their grandmother every day. Um, Mommy, mama. And I mean, it's a challenge because you see, I can't, I can't just do this interview. Um, But it's also a gift. The other thing is, is that um, I think, I hope that we learn how strong we are and how resilient we are in the face of challenges and how much our voices really count in terms of making a change and how we're interconnected we are um, on the planet. Because it seems like everyone is reaching out. And those of us who have access to the internet, everyone seems closer now. And so many things seem possible virtually that I hope that we can learn how to make those things happen um, when we're face-to-face. I know it is funny that I feel like trapped in my house and yeah, I'm communicating so much and like, like getting to communicate with people I never talk to and, and with people who are very distant from me. So it is very interesting how being, being trapped in my house has made me have more connections. For sure. So my last question is, um, what do you think kids can do in this moment? Oh, so many things. I mean, I think that if you, can um, take the opportunity to really think about what you have instead of thinking about what's missing, but also to see the adventure in this, even in our close quarters. Um, And the other thing is that one of my favorite things is to play make believe with my kids. And I feel like I needed to, um, have an excuse to do that, but I think that that's something that all ages can do, and that that isn't just a game, but also helps us imagine what possibilities there are in the world. So, like, it's not just an exercise, but it does kind of open our mind, and it's good for us to pretend that we're in a new place. Um, you can write or draw pictures. Um, I think that all those things are helpful for our own, keeping our own spirits up. And that's really important. The other thing is, is think about how you can connect to other people. And it doesn't have to be on the internet, but like, what are the things that you can do? Um, Could you write letters or do a picture exchange with a neighbor or with a um, classmate? Are there other ways that you can stay connected to people? The other thing is, is to really... um, communicate with other people about what's going on for you, what's important for you and what's on your mind um, so that they know how you're feeling. I think that children are such an important part and not just children, but young people are such an important part of our community and that 
we want to stay connected to you and that we hope that you talk to us. I agree. Um, <laughs> and do your schoolwork if you can. <laughs> yes, please do some of the schoolwork. <laughs> do some of the schoolwork. I didn't want to put that first, yeah. but that was that's the adult thing. So I was like, let me put it last. Well, you know, it's good to keep your brain wet in math and reading and school just a little bit every day. Yeah, like 15, 20 minutes. Do it. Thanks, Michaela, for plugging schoolwork. <laughs> All right, Michaela, well, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. So much fun. Sorry about thank the interruptions. You. Thanks for making guest appearances. I know. Biko, this is Biko and Isa. I actually hadn't seen. Um, Biko, this is Isa. Ah, <laughs> it's behind my mom, so they you can't, can't really see. They can't see anyway. This is radio. Thank you, boo. All right. Biko right, and Isa, have a good day. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, bye. Bye, bye. 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 Them on your dreams The one they fix The one you know by Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh And know they love you The children's hell will slowly go by and see them on your dreams. The one they fix, the one you'll know by. Don't you ever ask them why if they told you you wouldn't cry. So just look at them and sigh. listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. We are, I'm Kelly, and I'm here with Marisa. We are both elementary school teachers, and we are doing a show for kids today about some of the things that we've been um, observing and learning during this quarantine time. And you just heard um, Teach Your Children Well by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. 
And before that, you heard Michaela Sims talking about her observations in her neighborhood and what her community has been doing to support one another during the coronavirus and during this quarantine. So as we observe and have been thinking about the world around us, one thing that we've been hearing a lot about is these people called essential workers. And I know a lot of you all have been asking, so what is an essential worker? And we're going to hear from two essential workers right now, Aliza and Aurora, who talk about their work and what they think an essential worker is. And also, you should know that this is a mother-daughter interview. Um, Aurora is Aliza's mother, and you'll hear them kind of say that during the interview. So, um, yep, here it is, our interview with Aurora and Aliza. So can you guys just start off by telling us about yourselves and what essential work you've done? So my family, um, they are immigrants from an island called Madeira, which is off the coast of Morocco, and it's a Portuguese island. And um, they came in the 1950s, so they had three children there and three children here. And... um, they were both laborers. My, my dad uh, worked in construction as a laborer, and my mother worked cleaning toilets for a big uh, company, uh, an insurance company in Harford. And I started working when I was 14, and I started working doing silkscreening, printing, and I did that, and I did waitressing for a long time. Um, so when my kids, I have two kids. And so when they were little, I worked, uh, in a restaurant for many years, probably like 12 to 14 years in in the same restaurant. So I did like prep work, cutting, uh, vegetables and stuff like that, that were going to be cooked. And then I did waitressing on the floor. And from there I did some, uh, caregiving where I would go into people's homes, but, you know, elderly, and I would take care of people in their homes. And I I think that's, you know, what I would consider is, you know, it's all essential, I guess, but I would consider that to be really essential because, you know, if if you're an elderly person and you're relying on somebody to, to come in and take care of you, it's really important that that person is there. You know, so you're you're helping them take a shower, you're helping them organize their meds, you're helping them, you even getting groceries for them, and you're you know tidying up their home, cleaning up. So those are all important things that I would deem as essential. And from there, I ended up. Uh, I went to school later in my life, like 40s and 50s, and um, I got a degree in education. And I, uh, up until recently, worked in a program where I was a, uh, I would co-teach in a classroom, and I also substitute teached in a, a district. So that means that every school, so from kindergarten all the way up to high school. So was when I wasn't co-teaching, I was substituting 
like one week I could be in starting first grade and I can end the week in high school. So everywhere. And um, I also, that's essential too. I mean, schools really couldn't function without substitute teachers. Also, I, while I was doing that because I didn't make enough money and I only get, you only get paid if you work. So if you're sick or for some reason you can't go to work, you don't, you don't make any money. So um, in addition to it, to that, in order to make, you know, be able to pay my bills, I did house cleaning and um, I worked for different families. So I'd go into their home, but I can't do either of those jobs right now. So all right. So um, I work for a trauma one hospital in Orlando, Florida. So in the city and by trauma one, it usually means that we see the sickest of the sick, you know? So a typical day, our ER is flooded. Our emergency room is flooded with all kinds of folks. So we see everyone. Um, and like I said, the sickest of the sick. And so my, my part, uh, the part that I work in, in the hospital is the laboratory. And so the laboratory is sort of, it's on the, in the interior of the hospital, right? And so laboratory is very much behind the scenes. And what we do is uh, process all of the, the blood samples that are take, taken from all of the folks that are in the hospital. Um, and what we do is we run those blood samples. So the samples that we collect in the specimen containers, we run them on machines in the in the laboratory, we call them analyzers. And so based on what those results are, we know how to treat the person that is in the hospital. Um, and so we do that, uh, that's kind of just a small por- portion of that, but um, we do that for all sorts of things in the laboratory. Let's see, for instance, we have a pathology department that lives in the laboratory. And um, if somebody has something like a cancer tumor or anything like that, and that tissue is actually cut out from the the person, um, that tissue sample is sent to the laboratory to be looked at underneath a microscope to see what's going on, to see cancer cells and things like that. So that's what we do in the laboratory. So for us, um, what's going on right now with all of the coronavirus, it all takes place really in the laboratory. So we collect those, for instance, somebody who they might suspect has coronavirus. We do the testing, we do a nasal swab up the nose, and then um, that sample is actually brought to the laboratory and we spin it down for hours. It takes about three hours to run that test and we can see if, see if you're positive or negative. And so all of that takes place in the laboratory. So right now, um, the laboratory has been a big piece of this process for the hospital, so from day one, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride, I'd say. Wow, I can imagine. Yes, yes, yes. So you guys just talked a little bit about the essential work that you do. I was wondering if you could share your thoughts about what makes work essential and like, what is an essential worker? We hear like, thank you, essential workers. Like, can you say, like, explain that to us a little more? Yeah, I, I think, you know, essential workers are people that make kind of really make everything happen so like people like for example if you were looking at food so all the people that grow the food and then all the people that 
pick the food, and then all the people that uh, take that food and deliver it to a grocery store, and then all the people that work at the grocery stores, you know, from people who put food out to people who are at the cash registers to the people that clean the, 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 the grocery store. I think if you were looking at food, I would say all of those people are essential. And I think a lot of times we don't really, or I don't know, it seems like a lot of times we don't really think about those people. And also the other thing about a lot of those essential workers are that they they often make less money than everybody else, even though they're, you know, we wouldn't have food on our table without those people. Yeah, I would say, I mean, the same exists inside of a hospital. So all those structures and those different systems inside a, uh, in our, our hospitals, 800 beds. So inside that hospital, there's all of that. So we have the, the supply chain and, and those guys are in charge right now of divvying up um, masks and, and PPE, um, all that protective gear that you guys are seeing. Um, that is all the supply chain. So it's up to them to make sure that all of that, those masks and things like that and gloves are delivered to the appropriate departments. Um, you have food and services in the hospital, and it's important. Those guys, again, are essential because they are the ones that are making sure that the patients are fed. Um, you have our cleaning crews, which, uh, you know, right now they're, they're, their jobs are vital because not only are they doing the typical cleaning that they would do uh, in, in a hospital, it's, it's really, that's tough, that's very detailed. But right now it's even more critical. So they're you know, cleaning light switches and door handles and railings. So um, all of which is really important in a hospital. So you have a lot of support staff in the hospital that really make everything function and, and, and move. And again, kind of to add to what my mom was saying is that those guys are really paid the least, um, but are absolutely essential and vital in, 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 the, in, the, in how the, the hospital functions. So... I'm wondering too, because both of you are talking about people who their jobs are essential. Is there essential work that is unpaid? I think so. I mean, just for me, you know, like cleaning up after my kids, <laughs> cooking and, you know, things that we, you know, we do in our own homes, you know, like 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 you know making sure there's food in the house making sure that you know you you know the kids are getting fed and that they're you know a, 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 you know especially now aware of like having to wash their hands and you know making sure that laundry is is done so that there's clean clothes if they're little ones yeah you know even like, I mean, you know, now people are, you know, we're, we're at home, but even like normally, like, you know, bringing the kids to whatever they have to go to. And now parents are making sure kids are, you know, on top of their school stuff. And yeah, I think that's all essential. And that's, you know, sometimes we overlook that stuff. (laughs) 
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. We are doing a show just for kids today on quarantine and coronavirus. We've heard from Michaela Sims, who's a parent and a teacher and educator, talk about what she's noticed in her community and how her community has been supporting each other. And you just heard from Aurora and Aliza talk about their work and what they think an essential worker is. Um, You also just heard She Works Hard for the Money by Donna Summer. So now we're going to go to part two, where we'll hear Aurora and Aliza describe what a day is like in their work and what they hope people will learn from this experience. So can you each talk about, like, what is a typical day at work like for you? Like, from the time you come in in the morning to the time you go home, like, what does that look like? Okay, well, I'll give you a typical day, like house cleaning. Well, one, I have to make sure, I usually bring my own rags, so I have to make sure that I have enough rags to clean. And I usually bring my own vacuum because a lot of people have vacuums that are really heavy and I I hurt myself once with a heavy vacuum. So I just have my own vacuum. So I have to make sure one that all of my supplies are in my car. So I have to make, put everything in my car, make sure that I have enough cleaning rags and so I get to a house, I'll, get, I'll, I'll, I'll give an example through at one house. So when I get there, usually the family is gone. And a lot of times, like some of the kids, I, I think because they're, they're used to having me clean, they're not necessarily thinking about having to pick up because Aurora's coming. So I can get to a house and there's like, clothes everywhere or toys everywhere, dirty dishes. So the first thing that I do is like organize all of that. So if there's, you know, dirty clothes and I do laundry too. So I'll, I'll, I usually start the wash machine first because that takes time to do laundry. And then I go around and I pick up, usually start in the kitchen you know, clean all the dirty dishes that were left. And sometimes, you know, like the table's full of dirty dishes, so they haven't even done that, like cleared off the, the, the table. So, and then I go from room to room and I organize, pick up all the, the toys that kids have left or books that uh, in the kids' room and clothes. And then... Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, focus in on the bathroom. So I'll clean the bathrooms. Then after I'm done all of the kind of, uh, major clean, like putting everything away, then I'll vacuum and dust. And in between all of that, I will fold laundry. So sometimes like I fold laundry and I go to the drawers and the drawers are a big mess. So I have to organize that before I put new clothes into the drawer. Otherwise, they don't fit. And pretty much that's it. Vacuum, wash floors, and then um, and then I'm done. Yeah. Would you say it's a hard job? Oh, it's a really hard job. It's a lot of bending and... It's very physical. 
So using your body a lot, bending over, like I, I, I like I can spend at this one particular house. I can spend probably three hours folding clothes. Wow. And, and putting them away and you know so you're carrying heavy baskets or you're leaning over folding so by the end of the day my back is sore okay. just from leaning over and I realize like I have like I have neck issues you know and I realize that um I think it's a lot because when you're when you're doing housework you're kind of leaned over looking down a lot you don't realize it you know so you're not like, I'm not like straight up. I'm leaned over for, you know, s- six to eight hours. So it it can uh, kind of gets to you after a little, after you do it for years, you know. And sometimes I'll, I'll go to one house and then I'll run to another house and start it all over again, you know, depending wow. upon how long the job is. But sometimes I have like two four-hour jobs. Sometimes they have like seven hour, eight hour jobs. So it depends. But you know, oh, the other thing is when I go to a house, I trim it. So like I have like this duster thing and I go to each room and I trim it out with this duster thing to get all the spider webs and stuff like that. Do the baseboards. What details that none of us would have known about. Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff, you don't, you know, the windows, the trim around the windows, if there's blinds, you know, I hate blinds. <laughs> and uh, yeah, on occasion, like they'll ask me to clean out a refrigerator. That That's a lot of work too, because you yeah. have to take all the drawers out. You have to take everything out, take all the drawers out. And anyways, yeah. What about you, Aliza? I'll, I, I guess I'll go through a typical day right now, which is not so typical, but it's our yeah. normal, you know? So I, um, I live about an hour away from the hospital. So I am up around almost four o'clock AM and I'm on the road by five fifteen. And so I usually get to the hospital around 6.15 in the morning and I like to get there early so that I'm not flooded by the administrators right off the bat so I can get a little bit of work done. So I I go into my office and I open up my emails and right now um, with everything going on, the first email that I'll usually see is what's been sent out by the hospital the night before and it's how many patients we have that were tested, how many patients that were tested positive for the coronavirus, how many are still pending. In other words, we're running the, the results, but they're not ready yet. How many gloves and masks and things like that we have in our inventory. And also how, how much we lost the day before. So right now for the hospital, because all of our, um, everything is focused on the COVID-19, the coronavirus, we're not, we're not doing any of our surgical procedures, right? So the surgeries that people would come in for to have tumors removed and things like that, which are really how hospitals make money. Um, So right now, every day, we're seeing a loss in the amount of money the hospital is bringing in. So somewhere throughout this process, about two weeks ago, we actually had to lay off 25% of our staff. So that was rather challenging. So now we all have taken on new jobs, including the jobs we have now. 
Um, but anyway, so that's the first thing that I see when I open up my email and it kind of gives me a, an idea of what um, I need to focus on and what my day is going to look like. And um, for us, while coronaviruses have always exist, COVID-19 has not a particular strand. And so from day one, it's been a challenge just to get our machines. So we call our machines analyzers in the lab um, to get the machines to actually be able to pick up on that particular strand of the virus. So that's been very challenging from day one. And my piece is, is uh, a lot of different things, but education mostly right now. So um, we've had to teach the nurses how to collect the specimen through the nose for, for to, to be able to appropriately uh, test for the coronavirus. So I put together all these types of education. Um, right now, you guys have probably heard about rapid testing, which is where we can test a patient for the coronavirus really quickly. Um, typically, it takes us three hours to get a result. Um, but the rapid testing is instant. So as soon as we collect the, the swab through the nose, um, we can stick it in this machine and it, it spits out a result really quickly. And um, but those machines are new to us. So it's new for the nurses and new for the lab. And so I've had to put together a lot of education about like which swab is for what machine. And it sounds simple, but in healthcare, there's so much, so much, so much information that um, there's a ton of details. And so even for the nurses, we put together collection guides so they, they know this swab is for the rapid test. The quick test and a different swab is for the more specific test that we do in the lab. But again, it takes three hours to get a result. And so we we have to do a lot of education like that. And then I make sure that all of our facilities that are outside of the main hospital. So we have all these like small doctor's offices and things like that, that they also have that education and that they have the swabs to collect um, for the coronavirus and things like that. So that's been a big piece of my day right now. And um, like I said, we're all kind of taking on other duties as well because we lost a lot of team members. Again, basically, they've been laid off until we start to reopen again. And um, so I, another piece that I'm doing right now is getting all the supplies ready for those offices on the outside. So we, I have to kind of go and gather the swabs and things like that um, because the person that would typically do that is not there right now. So we all kind of taken on these extra roles along the way. And uh, it's been an interesting process and just helping we're, we're because so many people now need to test for the coronavirus like, for instance, the, the WWE that's in Florida, they have to test those What's folks, WWE? the wrestlers. <laughs> yes. So, um, so they're, like, they're deemed essential. Apparently. <laughs> anyway, so, like, they're going to, you know, they're potentially a new client, the Disney employees, things like that. Um, and so we need to make sure that they're set up for testing and things, things like that. So I am a part of that process. So like I said, right now, a typical day is not so typical. We're pulled in a lot of directions, um, but most of it revolves around coronavirus right now. So it's really, it can be a series of all kinds of different things, you know? Wow. I've, I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. It's 
crazy. That's all I'll say. It's totally yeah. insane. You know, it's been, we literally had our, our, our pathologists, which in the laboratory are the physicians. They're the real, like they have the, the PhDs and things like that, you know? They actually, and again, they're very much behind the scenes. They're usually underneath the telescope, you know, they're looking through telescopes at like tissue samples and things like that. Well, they actually jerry-rigged a few of our existing analyzers, you know, the machines in the lab that actually test for these things. They had to jerry-rig them to, to test for the, the, the COVID-19. So it's been this like crazy, they lived in the lab for like two weeks. They didn't go home and they, and they, and they managed to like repurpose these machines to just do this testing. So initially we couldn't test for it at all. And now we're up to like 200 every three hours, you know, all based on the fact that our internal pathologists figured out how to repurpose these machines to do this testing. Wow. Yeah, so it's been like this crazy thing from day one, you know, and it's really been up to the hospitals to figure it out themselves. So it's been an interesting process for sure. What do you hope that people learn from all this? Well, I would say that, you know, a lot of, you know, what we, um, I don't know, for some reason, it seems like what we deem essential isn't what really is essential, <laughs> You know, like a lot of times you, you know, like we think like people who run companies, like the CEOs, those people, those people that make most of the money are the most uh, important part of running business. But really, it's the people who do all the work, all the groundwork, you know, like all the, if I don't know, if for nothing else, if people should realize, especially in this time, that, you know, all the people that make this happen are the people that work in the meatpacking industries, you know, like I said, farmers, people who do all the cleaning, um, that those people are really important. And we, we don't think about them so much. I, so, I think that's probably the most important thing is to really uh, think about those people that we we don't really think about a lot. You know how they're treated. You know they don't they don't you know they they struggle. They don't make a lot of money. You know, so it's hard for them to you know pay for their where they live to buy, even buy food and all that. It's real hard for them. And they're important, most important, really. Yeah. And I would say just to kind of piggyback off of that, you know, um, I think that what I have seen and have noticed is that, you know, you have an impact in your community around you. So how you behave and interact, especially during something like this that is so easily transmitted is hugely important. And we all play a big role in, in, in helping one another um, with that, you know, um, and that all of, you know, what, what we do uh, matters and how we behave and interact with one another, you know, and so you see how that trickles down right now, you know, and so if you are not socially distancing and doing things like that, that, you know, it, it to me, I, I find it to be very impactful, because I see what that results in. And so that has always been my biggest message to the people around me right now is like, you know, you may not see it, but I do. And so how you behave and interact with people around you is really important right now. 
you know. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. This has been a radio show just for kids on quarantine and the things we've been learning about during quarantine. So we hope that the students in our classes have been listening and other kids too. Maybe other kids in Brattleboro are listening. We don't teach in Brattleboro anymore, but maybe some of our former students are listening. (laughs) So be sure to look for Marisa and I's next Indigo Radio for Kids. And the next time we will be thinking about health and what is health. And also learn about some of the science behind the coronavirus. So we hope you keep asking questions and observing the world around you. And we'll see you next time. Scab, or will you be a man?